This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Drive to deep center field, going back Hernandez at the track, right to the wall, gone! Elvis Andrews! And 29 other MLB clubs. High drive, deep left field, Guerrero lifts one to left field and gone! Oh, Tani, that was a moonshot out there in the right center. Alonzo defends his title, the 2021 Derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe from OPS Plus to juiced balls to game-changing moments. We have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Good afternoon, everybody. It is A's Cast Live before the Athletics take on the Chicago White Sox. Game three of a four-game set between the Athletics and the Chai Sox from guaranteed, guaranteed rate field. Remember, it's guaranteed. Paul Blackburn will be on the mound. He has been called up, obviously, with Chris Bassett going on the IL up against one of the best customers in the business Lance Lynn. Darren Jackson, longtime broadcaster and longtime outfielder in Major League Baseball, is a broadcaster for the Chicago White Sox. He's going to join us coming up here at 3.30. We love having him on the program, a really good guy. And uh, he knows Chris Bassett, and he's going to tell us what it was like in the ballpark last night and how scary it was. And also, Darren Jackson was there at the Field of Dreams game and to talk about just how magical the opportunity for all those affiliated with the White Sox and the Yankees to be a part of that historic game. And even though we'll play multiple games going forward at that ballpark, there's always the first. And uh, whatever Major League Baseball did, we got to see it on television, but whatever Major League Baseball did uh, for the people that were there, everybody's going to walk away saying, yeah, that might be one of my best moments in baseball. That's how... Uh, special that was. Darren Jackson will be here at 3.30. Also, Matt Kawahara in Chicago from the SF Chronicle will join us at 3.15. But I want to start today with a lot of reflection. As I didn't know how last night was going to go after the game. Obviously, the game was a wash. And... I knew there would be some emotion because Chris Bassett is a player that we really care about. You know, he's been a friend of this program for for a long, long time as we've gotten to watch him grow as a man, as a player, and has always given us such great answers, very thoughtful. You know, he's one of those guys, you know, he was raised right. And to see something like that happen to him, knowing everything he's been through in his career, and the fact that he has seen the bottom and now risen to the top as an all-star, as a Cy Young candidate, and to have that happen to him yesterday, it was gruesome. It really, really was. And it's not often that you see EMTs come out onto the baseball field. You see pitchers get hurt. You see trainers come out, maybe a doctor. Guy walks off the field. 
But it's very rare that you see EMTs come out and a player get taken off in a cart. That is very, very rare and very, very scary. The good news is he is out of the hospital. He has stitches. He has a displaced tripod fracture in his right cheek that will require surgery next week. I'm not sure when he is going to be back. I can't play doctor on this program. Not even going to try. You know, if you say six weeks and the surgery's next week, what do we only have, you know, as of next week, five weeks left? So I don't know. And really, as an organization, after the surgery, you'll have a better idea on whether you might be able to count on him for, you know, a few starts down the stretch or maybe for the postseason or maybe not at all. The way you handle these situations is you plan for the worst, but you hope for the best. And the worst is you don't have them for the rest of the year. But in the end, that's okay because Chris is okay. And that's more important as, you know, even the, the hardest hardcores called in last night with great emotion. I thought our callers for A's Clubhouse show was spectacular. You know, there's, there's some people cried last night on the air. If you got to listen to it, if you didn't, you can download it, athletics.com slash A's cast. You know, there were, there were callers visibly upset. That's what Chris means to this organization. And that's what this post-game show is meant. It's meant for the A's fans. I designed it years ago. It's your post-game show for the raw emotion of the good, the bad. And yesterday, you know, good, bad, well, that was the ugly. The game didn't matter. It was all about Chris being okay. Because normally I think people go, ah, he's hit, he'll get to the hospital. But Brandon McCarthy, we never forget that 2012. Hit in the head, walked off the field, thought everything was okay. Next thing you know, had swelling of the brain, had that brain surgery to release the pressure. It was a scary situation. Really, really scary. And, you know, Amanda McCarthy talks about being at the hospital and Billy Bean was there. And then, you know, he was, it was just some critical stuff. You know, there, 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 there's two scenarios in our game where can be life-threatening. And that's when a hitter gets hit above the neck. Thank God they got helmets on. And the other is when a pitcher gets hit in the head. Those are the two situations that are the most scariest in Major League Baseball. Now, we've talked about in the past about helmets for pitchers. Obviously, these guys got a lot of bravado. They got a lot of ego. They got a lot of tough guy in them. They don't wear want to wear these helmets. You know, in softball, you see where they wear the cages. You know, there's the flap that comes down above or, you know, around your cheek and, and, and protects your teeth. There are things that they could wear, but, you know, the reality is we don't see this that often. So that's why guys don't want to do it. I guess if we saw it more often, maybe Major League Baseball would make it mandatory. But I tried to explain it last night. You know, Chris Bassett's 6'5". 
the mound's 60 feet, six inches. But by the time that fr- that left foot lands on the ground and he's pushing off the mound, he's nowhere, he's nowhere even near 60 feet, six inches. I mean, we should actually take a measuring tape, actually see kind of where a guy 6'5 would land and then measure that to the plate. And actually where the hitter is hitting the baseball, that's out in front of the plate a little bit. I mean, it could be like you're 50 feet away. You know how hard it is to defend yourself against a ball traveling 100 miles an hour from 50 feet away when you're already in an awkward position, right? Your left foot has hit the ground. Your glove, which which is on your left hand for a right-handed pitcher, has now come around your body and starts to come under your left shoulder as your right arm now is coming over your right shoulder, releasing the ball. After you release the ball with your right hand, your right hand now comes under your left side. So when that ball leaves your hand, your left hand with the glove and your right hand that's released the ball are both on your left side. Your hands need now need to come back in front of your body to get you into defensive position and Chris's glove trying to come back from his left side to try and come up to his face, didn't make it in time. Once again, he's like 52 to 50 feet, about 52 to 50 feet away. I might, I might be even shortchanging it. Like you think about like Randy Johnson, what was he at that point? But taller pitchers, they're that much closer to the plate and a ball's traveling right at your face at a hundred plus miles an hour. It's very tough to defend. And if Chris Bassett comes away with this, with just stitches and a fractured cheek, essentially, you're pretty lucky. You're really, really lucky. And knowing that family was in the stands and they had to see that, you know, when you have a, when you have a pretty packed crowd and it's silence in there, it's scary, man. It's really, really scary. Does this affect the A's going forward? There's no question. We can't deny that. Chris is the heart and soul of this pitching staff. Chris has become just not a leader. He's like a spiritual leader. He is the guy that has set this tone that has made this staff so close that it's unbelievable. This pitching staff... This starting staff, the way they've come together this year where they've given you the most innings this year in baseball and how they communicate, how they help each other. They're all like pitching coaches. It's just not Scott and Emerson. These guys are all pitching coaches. These guys are all helping each other. They're talking in the dugout. They're talking to a guy, you know, when he comes in from his start. They are a very close unit. And to look at their faces in the dugout, The look of horror when Chris is on the ground and the blood's coming out. And to see Bob Melvin, the way Bob, you know, I will talk to Bob on Friday or Saturday. And I'm glad we're going to have some time in between to, you know, to get his thoughts about, you know, he, you you know, Chris is his longest tenured pitcher. And he and Chris, that bond, you know, Bob Melvin had to give him tough love at one point. And, of course, Chris responded. And to knowing how close their relationship is, you saw it. 
how worried Bob was. You're not worried about the game. You're not worried about the standings. You're worried about this kid's life. What just happened here? Look at all the Chicago White Sox players. You know, there's some of those White Sox players that played with Chris. They know Chris. Chris came from the White Sox. You had a whole ballpark in concern. And kudos to the staff of the Chicago White Sox, which in the statement today, Chris praised the White Sox. You saw how fast the trainer came out from the White Sox. You then saw how fast the White Sox doctor came out. At that point, it doesn't matter what uniform you're wearing. At that point, it's about the health of this human being and how do we help him as fast as we can. I have seen this never in baseball before, but I've seen it in the NFL. And you know what I'm talking about. When a guy makes a hit or a guy gets hit and he doesn't get up and he's not moving. And all of a sudden, no matter what sideline he is on, you see both medical staffs attend to the player. Because that spinal injury is the scariest thing that there is. And they, they, they do not allow the player to move. They strap him in. They take the face mask off. They cut the shoulder pads off. They're worried about him being paralyzed. The ambulance comes out onto the field. It's the scariest thing you've ever seen. I've witnessed that multiple times in the NFL. It literally is the scariest thing I've ever seen in sports. You're like, did I just watch a guy life change forever where he's now? Luckily, every guy that I saw, it's been multiple times, always end up going to the hospital and always ended up being okay. But you never know. And to watch the EMTs come out yesterday for Chris. Oh my God. So I'm just thankful for him that he's out of the hospital. Now Uh, we're going to talk to Matt Kawahara. Do we know commander where Chris has gone from the hospital to where he is now? I believe he's staying, he's staying in Chicago until he has a surgery done. So so he's going to have the surgery in Chicago. Yeah. And Nick Paparesta and David Forrest had a zoom call with, I was on it, but he had a, they had a zoom call with the media prior about two hours ago to uh, our show. And they talked about what the surgery is going to be like and how many stitches he had and all that stuff. So he broke three bones in his body, the tripod. So three bones in his like right below his orbital bone. Uh, I think they, I think Nick Paparesta said like 15 or 16 stitches is what he got. Uh, but he was in good spirits. He was moving around. There's no concussion symptoms. So those are all good signs. There's really no timetable on when he could be back. But, I mean, as David Force alluded to, we know how, how much he loves being out there. So we know he's going to try to fight to get back. But, I mean, we can't just say, hey, he's going to be back next week because. No, that's he, not, yeah. okay. Yeah, it's not, it's not. This is a big deal. You're yeah. going to have facial surgery. You know, as you said, it's three different bones are broken in your face. This is, he's not going to throw for a while. There's going to be recovery. You know, you pray for the best and plan for the worst. And it's got to be a next man up mentality, unfortunately, but it is what it is. So Matt Kawahara is in Chicago. Matt, how you doing? It's Chris Townsend with the A's. Hey, Chris, I'm good. How are you? Uh, we're doing well. Since your boots on the ground, I, I know uh, Nick and, and David has spoke. Do you have any new information, possibly, on on, on what's going on with Chris Bassett? 
Um, well, I think the last like official update from the team, they covered pretty much how he's doing at this point. Um, obviously, they, they announced this morning that he was discharged from the hospital last night. Um, he's going to need surgery uh, to address the facial fractures. Um, but all things considered, I think they, uh, you know, described it as, as a fairly um, encouraging update. Um, obviously, it's, it's open-ended as to whether, um, you know, they, they need to wait for the swelling to go down uh, before he has the surgery done. So that's a bit of a waiting period. And then they just need, you know, they need to make sure that the, um, the surgery goes well and, and there's nothing surprising when they actually go to do it. So, uh, there's, you know, there's still some, some unknowns, um, and you know, they, they weren't really ready to even start to guess about, you know, the potential of, of him when, if he returns, uh, this season, but, um, but they said that, you know, he's kind of he's in, in a good spot today. Um, you know, Nick said that he uh, he really didn't have uh, nausea or, or uh, display symptoms of potential concussions. And the test that they did showed that his vision is good and, um, and a CT scan came back clean. So all things considered, it sounds like it was a um, sort of a positive update today. Yes, because in the end, bones heal. And that yeah. is a good thing. And it, the fact that we're not talking about concussion, we're not talking about anything with the head. Uh, yeah, you can have the surgery and the bones will heal and the stitches will come out. So I guess for me, you know, knowing last night, I, I know you're in Chicago, you weren't able to listen to the postgame show, but we had some callers in tears. I mean, it was really emotional after the game. And it, and it really, when you know how all the players reacted, you know how Melvin reacted. And when I tell you that we had callers last night in tears, doesn't it really tell you how much Chris Bassett really means to this organization? Yeah, for sure. And I've, I've actually, I've talked to a couple of the, uh, the starters uh, before the game today. Uh, Frankie Montas in particular uh, was saying that, you know, last night he, he went back to the hotel and he was just kind of sitting there um, sort of in shock. Um, just not really, uh, it's something that all pitchers kind of, you know, you, you don't want it to be in the back of your mind when you go out to the, there to pitch, and it probably sometimes is, but there is an awareness that that's a danger when you go out to, to pitch. Um, and so Frank, uh, Frankie said, you know, that's the first time that he's ever seen that happen, a uh, line drive come back and then hit the pitcher in the head. And um, he was just, he was sitting up last night when he got back to the hotel, just thinking about like, um, you know, just how scary that is. And, you know, for, for a while, he the team didn't know. I mean, they were continuing to play the game, but there were, there was really no sort of update on, on um, the specifics of, of what had happened to Bassett. And so I guess they found out pretty quickly after the game ended um, that, you know, he was at the hospital and it, seemed, it sounded like he was in at least a stable spot. So they were able to, uh, to read a little bit, but there was a lot of concern. I mean, up and down the dugout, you can see it on the faces if you're watching TV, um, the guys on the field and the guys in the dugout is just, Concern across the board, um, but I think uh, Bob Mellon said in his, his pregame session that uh, they're they're feeling at least a little bit better today, knowing just how he's doing. Tell me what Bob looked like in his Zoom call after the game because we played it. I didn't get to see it because obviously I got to start the show. Uh, when he came in front of the camera, made a quick statement and left. What did he look like at that point? Yeah. I, I, he was, you know, he was businesslike. I, I don't, I wouldn't necessarily say that, um, you know, you could read a, a ton of emotion on, on his face or anything like that, but it was, um, it was, you know, unusual for him to, to come in and just make a quick statement. And obviously he didn't take any questions. And I think, um, 
I'm not sure if it was at that point, they just didn't really have too much more information. So they wanted to just kind of give what they, they could and, uh, and wrap it up there. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, even it, not only the, the zoom call, but just in the immediate aftermath, when you saw like uh, Bob on the field and then when he got back into the dugout right afterward, when they were starting the game up, um, yeah, I mean, the worry was, was all over everybody's face. So, um, do you get a sense from the players that you've talked to is that this is now going to be, Hey guys, we got a rally. We got a rally now and we got a rally for Chris. Yeah, I think, uh, the, one of the other stars I've talked to is, uh, was James Caprillion. His message was, um, after being glad that, that just the basket is okay. It was, uh, everybody else in the rotation is going to have to step up because, I mean, Bassett has been the, the anchor of that rotation. Of the, um, not only has he worked all, I mean, not only has he been a workhorse and not only has he just been pitching a ton of innings, but uh, the way that uh, either Frank or Capelli put it was he pitched a lot of innings, but he's dominated those innings. I mean, we've uh, American League wins, according uh, to yesterday, you might still be. Um, like third in ERA, six of strikeouts or something like that. So, I mean, that's not a guy that you just replace. Um, and so everybody else, uh, with what James Capillian says, everybody else in the rotation is basically just going to have to step up and do what they can to, to sort of cover the loss because it's a serious loss. And you don't, um, they, again, they're, they're not sure. They haven't really started to worry about yet what the, uh, what, what the timeline um, could be. So, but it's clear that they're going to have to, to cover that loss for uh, for a stretch here, um, if not for the rest of the season. So, yeah, there, there's going to have to be, I mean, they called up Paul Blackburn to start the game today. Uh, David Force said, you know, it's, it's not, they're going to kind of go day to day going forward as to, to what the plans are to replace that spot in the rotation. I've got to think Dalton Jeffries is probably going to be in that conversation since he came up earlier to do a spot start with Caprillion Hurt. Um, but yeah, they're they're gonna have to uh, they're gonna have to rally a little bit here. Yeah, I gotta think where they are. It's like okay, Blackburn now get Jeffries ready to be able to be a guy. I mean, we only got so much time left, so you're only gonna need so many starts. But do you think in the end it's gonna be like okay, get Blackburn in today and then get ready for Dalton to go the rest of the way? Yeah, I'm not sure. I uh, when they when when Force said the. Um, said that Blackburn was being called up. I wasn't sure. At that point, they hadn't said that it was for a start, so it wasn't uh, it wasn't clear if it was to start today or to just kind of give depth because Cole Irvin was obviously scheduled to start, but they decided to push all of the, the starters back instead. Um, so I guess maybe that gives them a little more time to sort of assess their options. Um, I, think, I think Jeffries had pitched on the 15th, if I'm not mistaken, so he was not really on turn to, to be able to, to come up and pitch on regular rest. Um, so I, I'm, I'm sure they'll kind of reassess uh, after just getting through this series and getting back home and probably getting a little bit more of their feet under them. Let's uh, let's end on this. Just what was it like in the stadium after, after it happens? It's Chicago. It's a rowdy crowd. And then all of a sudden it's dead silent. Yeah, it was, uh, it was quiet. And I mean, you couldn't, it, it was quick. Too, because you know the the line the line drive goes back and, and hits him and he goes down and I think people are kind of it's not really clear for a couple of seconds uh, what's going on and what really is the concerning thing is when he's down and the, his, you know Sean Murphy and Matt Chapman are running over to the mound and they're the ones that are signaling 
toward the dugout and that's when you know it really gets concerning um and yeah it got it got quiet pretty fast and it was quiet for a few minutes um he was down the trainers were looking at him they brought the cart out and drove him out um when they drove him out of the stadium through the, the center field wall there was some applause um and then i mean really you know a couple maybe an inning later or, or not not too long after i mean it's it's it felt like it felt like a baseball game again. I mean, it's obviously it's the away, um, the, you know, these guys are at home, so maybe it doesn't affect the crowd here as much, but uh, also, you know, Bassett's family, I think a good amount of his family was in the crowd, he's, you know, from, uh, from Ohio, I believe. So he's, um, his wife and, and, uh, and daughter, I think were here. And, uh, I'm not sure if his parents were here, but, uh, uh Nick Paparazzi, the head trainer referenced his parents and said that in the end, you know, it was, it was probably good uh, that his, you know, his family was able to be close. And once they figured out that um, it was, you know, it was something that they could be there for, they were able to be close to him while, you know, while he was uh, being at the hospital and, and they were kind of figuring out what was going on. So, uh, but yeah, in terms of being in the stadium, um, it was, it was pretty, you know, it was, it was a frightening moment uh, for a few minutes. And then afterwards that, it felt like, uh, you know, it was, a, it was a baseball game again. And they, I think it was pretty clear that it just shifted them a lot. And, uh, so maybe while, while last night uh, it, was, it was tough to recover, um, they'll have to kind of recover going forward. Well, you know, we love having you on. I just wish it was under better circumstances and we could be talking about, you know, down the stretch and exciting times in A's baseball. But I know it's really tough. But uh, thanks for holding it down and giving us all the information from Chicago. Yeah, next time we'll talk to you guys. Take care. Yeah, it's not, not easy to talk about. Uh, let's go to Darren Jackson here because there's some stuff that we want to talk about getting uh, after this. There's some very interesting things going on in baseball, including negotiations between the players and the owners. But earlier today, Darren Jackson, we love having him on, longtime outfielder, now broadcaster for the Chicago White Sox, and a guy that knows Chris Bassett. It was pretty scary. Here's Darren Jackson. Well, our next guest does a great job as a broadcaster with the Chicago White Sox. Of course, was a terrific player, had a long career. Darren Jackson with us once again. How are you? It's been a while. Good, Chris. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, it's been a while, and it's good to be back. You know, we wanted to talk about this series because you look at two teams, two really good teams, as they came into this series with the exact same record. But obviously what happened last night with Chris Bassett has kind of changed the narrative because you guys know Chris Bassett with his time from the White Sox. He's a he's a wonderful kid. And to see what happened last night was just so tragic. And, and it just shows that at times how tough this game can be. And to see him with the blood on the mound, just take us through what it was like at the stadium. Oh, no, don't make me relive it. Um, you know, I'm I'm a pretty emotional guy. So to see something like that happen kind of, you know, had me tearing up because, like you said, Chris is such a great person, loved him when he was with us. And to see him actually injured like that, I mean, it, it, it just breaks your heart because he's having such a phenomenal season. He's He's the ace of a really good team staff. You know, it's important to your team to have him there and available. And for, for that kind of thing to happen to him yeah you don't want to see it happen to anybody but you know when you have a personal relationship with somebody it hurts even more and 
Yeah, I, I feel for him. And, you know, it's just nothing he could have done. He was he, he got tried to get that glove up there. It almost got in the right position, and he just missed it. And now he's dealing with the long recovery. And, you know, baseball becomes secondary, obviously. But at the same time, you know the game goes on. It's waiting for no one. And, and the White Sox really did take advantage of a situation where, you know, everybody was brokenhearted in a green jersey last night. And you knew with the bases loaded – that we were going to break that game wide open because because they were in a position to just take advantage of any mistake that was going to happen. You know, having worked on the sidelines in the NFL and been around the NFL for years, you know, we do see the stretcher. We see the ambulance come out onto the field. It's very rare in our game. I don't know if I've ever really seen it where EMTs come out on the field. You've been in this game longer than me. Have you ever really seen that? Um, I have not, but a couple of times in my career seen that. Um, and you know, we had, we had a guy here about five years, six years ago, Danny Farquhar, who went down in our dugout with a a brain aneurysm. And, um, that was, that was heartbreaking. It did. We were so fortunate that he happened to be in the dugout, but the EMTs came and they were there and they took him out and got him out of here and basically saved his life. And, yeah, I mean, you, you can never get over seeing these things happen out in the field. I mean, go back to when John McSherry, the umpire uh, at home plate, you know, he, he he fainted right behind home plate during a game back in the 80s and, and then didn't make it. So there's so many tragedies can, can happen in these in these avenues and these venues that, um, you know, they're they're memorable for the wrong reasons. And, and last night's going to be that one again. How hard is it for the players after you see all that, the delay, everybody's concerned because obviously there's people in the dugout who know Chris for the White Sox. Obviously what he means to the A's as a a spiritual leader to this team, just for as a player, how tough is it just to then go on and concentrate and play the game? No, that's the thing. And that's one of the things I talked about after that fact. And I unfortunately was able to predict that the inning was going to be blown wide open. I said, the White Sox are probably going to blow this inning wide open right now because there's no way you can just get back to business without it already being an emotional situation. How's your focus going to be at a level where you can be a top professional at this game? It's just not going to happen. And, you know, things settle down because you move on past that because you're a competitive athlete and you have to. But that inning was a goner for them. They just had no chance. The White Sox pile on five runs out of nowhere and and from there, think about it. The A's are like, yeah, we're losing five nine. Let's come on, guys. Let's come back. But how are you really, really emotionally going to be back in that after seeing what happened to Chris and not aware of what the recovery is going to be? It's just it's one of those games for the A's. Unfortunately, they just never really had a chance to get back in it because of the emotion they'd already spent worrying about their teammate. Yeah, you know, doing the post game show last night, and some of our callers were actually in tears. And, you know, not knowing what was going to happen with Chris as he was in the hospital. But good news, receive stitches. He's going to have to have surgery on the fracture in his right cheek, but he's going to be okay. That is the main thing. And I want to put you in the A's clubhouse right now. If you are a player in the A's clubhouse, isn't it time to rally tonight for your teammate? Yeah, there's that hope, Chris. That I mean, but look, the, the reality is, you're only as good as your ability in the first place. And how do you guys match up against us tonight? Because it is back to competition. It is head-to-head, two top teams in the American League going back at it. And, yes, you know, the emotion of watching Chris go down last night, 
Now, you get back to being a professional. These guys have definitely got their focus back. I guarantee it. They're going to come out swinging. But I've always found and felt it was hard to try and reach for that extra emotional support for yourself to say, hey, we can do this for Chris. You know, the win-one for the Gipper thing is not necessarily going to happen unless it's that day. Uh, The next day, it's usually back to business as usual with the thought that, of course, your teammate is, is recovering. But it's hard in this game to, when you play every single day to draw on extra strength and ability because you're trying to do that every day anyway. You know, I think about Brian Goodwin. I mean, obviously, he's just trying to have a good at-bat. I mean, he's not trying to hit anybody in the head. I mean, it's, 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 it's just the competition. How do you think this affects him? Yeah, obviously, he's bothered by that because he's a good person also. So he's not somebody that's happy of, of that outcome. But he also knows there was nothing that he could have done differently. He couldn't have controlled that issue. He could have been out just as easily. Chris could have got the glove up and made the play, and it wouldn't even be a story. So I think he just understands it's just unfortunate, and there's nothing more he could have done. And he's not going to change his approach. He's going to try and hit the ball hard right back up the middle or to right field or to left field. And as athletes, again, all you can do is be the best you can be at that moment and try and you know, kind of respond to whatever's coming your way. But we can go back, as you said, the football. I mean, nobody's ever, ever prepared for the major injuries that happen in that, even though they're coming. It's football. Bad things are going to happen. And when they do, you keep going and move on. And I think with Brian, he's just going to be somebody that realizes he's still got to play the game the exact same way to be successful. Let's get to some baseball here. You know, I think about the White Sox. Just you got it all. You got You got athletes guys that can run, you got a lot of power, uh, your bullpen is, is unbelievable. Is this one of the better White Sox teams you've ever been around? Yeah, you know what's crazy is we are right about 100% full strength. We'll get Yasmani Grandal back here pretty quick, and then we will be back 100% and at full strength, and then we will be able to get into a great rhythm. But we still have we still have some issues. We still got to fine-tune some stuff. We play some tough teams that just – we just lost two out of three to the Yankees with with uh, them crushing some of the fastballs that we're tossing at them at 100 miles an hour. So we got to figure out the game plan against certain teams. If we match up well against the A's, it's because, oh, we're doing this and we just match up well. Are we going to match up well against Houston? Are we? It really, as you know, comes down to series, series to series on how you're going to play against that team. We have everything that's real good on paper. Now it's a matter of just being consistent every day and, and trying to, I think, trying to set up the roster and the lineup. If we're going to be in the postseason, a matchup against whatever teams we're going to play at that time, because we have shown at times that we're very vulnerable and we've got to fix some of those issues because otherwise, you know, right now you've seen two games for the White Sox and we've been at, at our top performance. So it's hard to say, oh, you've got weaknesses, but we see them every day. And there are some times where we, we have some glaring weaknesses that be, need to be improved upon. Yeah, I mean, other than the San Francisco Giants, let's be honest, just about everybody, wouldn't you say, has been streaky this year? Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's the thing. That's what we need to talk about because we can say the White Sox have been really hot and then they've been cold. It's been a bit of a roller coaster ride. We're just in a division where we look like we're the most dominant team in baseball because we're up by 11 games in the division. Well, yeah, we've played some tough teams and looked bad. Then we've played some bad teams and looked great. So it's been hot and cold, and I agree with you. Other than San Francisco, who seems to just have it all going on and been doing it all year long, 
it's hard to say that anybody else has been that same level because I thought the A's were going to hold on to the division for a while. Houston comes on, and they've been like the toughest team we've seen this year. And then we took two out of three from them at our ballpark. So it's like, what are you going to get? I don't think anybody really knows. That's why it's going to be important come uh, time getting to the postseason where you're playing at your best. Please tell me you were at the Field of Dreams game in Iowa. Oh, man. Yes, Chris. We were fortunate enough to go ahead and get the chance to be there. We were traveling all season long, basically. So we were able to get to Iowa, and the setting itself um, was just phenomenal. It was as if they had written a movie script, and it lived out. There was a one-take from the fireworks that went off after the home run of Anderson uh, to the guys celebrating to every aspect of that game. It was almost like a Norman Rockwell painting that just had taken place, and it was live action. It was pretty amazing to be part of. And what was it like when all of a sudden you're like, I can't remember what it was, third or fourth inning, and there's a hot air balloon going by? <laughs> hey, at that point, I go, well, somebody decided to be part of the action. How about that? And then I think, then all, only to find out that it must have been part, it was part of the show. That's what I mean. It was almost like a movie. They had all these things. Okay, set off the fireworks. Let the rockets go. Hey, let the doves fly by. I mean, it was, here comes the balloon. It's like, what is this? And then they had a shot of it from a drone looking back at the field, and it was beautiful. But then that thing went and landed past the original Field of Dreams field, and it was back there anchored somewhere. I go, well, obviously that was meant to be in the show, so it worked out perfectly. Can you imagine as an outfielder, you're roaming the outfield, and behind you is all that corn? Or can you imagine back in your day you're hitting and you hit one into the corn? I mean, that would be like the <laughs> coolest thing in your career. Well, you're right, and, and just you bringing that up. So watching these baseballs, these home runs, because there were plenty of them in that game, watching them disappear into the corn was so unique and so original. It was a beautiful thing to see. It just it made you feel like you were a kid playing in the sandlot uh, you know, with the cornfields back there. It was, again, I mean, it was idyllic. It's just not something you can make up. It was uh, one and done. I mean, think of that. It'll never be replicated. You can play more games there, but there'll never be anything that replicates that emotion, that feeling of that first game. And I got to think about you as a player and for all players and all, you know, obviously, yes, you're right. You'll never, you can't duplicate that. I mean, there's, there's only one first, but shouldn't this kind of be something that we look at on a yearly basis and throughout time, we get every franchise there to experience this because obviously when you, now Netflix is going to have a whole series on field of dream. I mean, this is one of the great movies of our time. Don't you think we should all play there at least once? I think I actually believe Chris, that's going to be the plan. I, I think major league baseball has thought this out now, especially after it being so successful. I know there's a game already going to be planned for next year, but I think every team probably will get the opportunity over the next whatever, 15 years to play in that, in that stadium, play in that ballpark and be part of a historic setting and get the feel of what it was like to do it. So I believe you're correct. I think that's going to be the case. Let's end on this. Tony La Russa is obviously a friend of the program, one of the great A's managers of all time, and we've helped him out with ARF in different situations. We love Tony, and I just laughed when people said, ah, he's too old. He's not going to be able to manage the egos. I'm like, egos? He managed Ricky Henderson, Jose Canseco, Dave Parker. He's Big McGuire. He's, he, I mean, Eckersley. He has managed some of the biggest egos we have ever seen. Just talk about what he has meant as a manager leading this group. 
Um, I'll go back to when I heard he was being hired and I said, let me think about this. Let me think about this. And I started putting in the right perspective going, okay, age has nothing to do with it. I don't care about that. That's irrelevant. Um, has he been away from the game? No, he's been up watching the game. He's seen how the game's changed. Okay. And yeah, personalities. Oh yeah. He dealt with bigger personalities than white Sox have. There's no question about that. Will he be successful? I said, let's wait and see. Why, why would anybody question it? Let's wait and see how he does. Why? Why would you assume he can't do well? And here we are, a first-place team, so all those naysayers can bite it because they were all wrong. I, I'm happy he's here. And I, by the way, watching him manage this year, I've obviously played against him. Watching him manage is, is something I've never experienced because especially as a broadcaster now for 22 years, you look down and predictable scenes come up in a game like, okay, it's a bunt, it's a hit and run, it's all right, get him over, get him in. With Tony, I can't do that. It's It's – it's not predictable because he goes on his gut. He goes on that individual in that moment in that setting against that pitcher. I look down and I say, well, this is what could happen. But with Tony, I don't know if it's going to happen. And it's great. It's refreshing. And I love it. I, and, and I'm happy as can be that he comes back to a place where it all started for him under, under an owner that uh, has, has wanted him back here. And they get back together. It's a perfect marriage. And, and it's a su- success story that, I mean, I'm so happy for the White Sox in the city of Chicago, and you know what? For all of uh, all of his fans, like yourself, Chris, for for him, for your backing of him in the past, you knew he could be successful, and you're a, you're in the small percentage of people. So, it's it's a great story for us, and I'm happy as hell that it's turning out the way it is. Hey, great stuff as always. We always appreciate it, and it's an honor to have your time. And uh, let's hook up in September when you guys come out here to Oakland. Well, I hope so, but I got to tell you. I'm hoping for a better outcome than what we had last year. Yeah, no, <laughs> we're not. <laughs> be safe and be well, and we'll talk soon. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, he is a good guy. Coming up next, we got a lot to get into, including Major League Baseball is going in the right direction with their negotiations with the players. We'll talk about it next right here on A's Cast Live. A's fans, join us for the biggest music festival in the fall. It's the inaugural Battle Axe and Tracks Music Festival, held October 2nd and 3rd in Carson City, Nevada. Grammy Award nominees Kenny Wayne Shepard, Larkin Poe, Samantha Fish, and North Mississippi All-Stars are just four of the 15 acts. Festival activities also include axe throwing and Freedom Rail Bike Tours. Tickets on sale now with VIP two-day and single-day tickets available. Check out the full schedule at BattleAxeandTracks.com. That's BattleAxeandTracks.com. Streaming from the East Bay, A's Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend. That's right, it is A's Cast Live, and coming up here, we're going to have A's Total Access for you at 410. And something that we started talking about, you got to go all the way back to December 2019. It was the winter meetings in San Diego. The last time, like, Cody and I did anything really travel other than be at the Coliseum. Where it was a monster moment for A's cast. Where all the teams came to us, wanted to check in, wanted to see how things were going. As everybody's monitoring what we're doing, because this is the future. And one of the things we talked about, and one of the things that I do not like. I'm not a huge fan of salary caps because it limits. It limits the teams that want to spend. 
And how is that ever good to say the guys that want to spend money, we're going to limit you. And that's these different thresholds. That's what they are. They're like a floating salary cap. Instead of like the hard cap that you have like in the NFL, it's still like a salary cap because they're basically telling you, Cody, that if you go over, let's just put a number out there. I don't know what they are right now. If you go over $230 million, we're going to tax you for every dollar over $230 million. Where you do it again and again. We're going to take draft picks. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. It eventually becomes a salary cap and hurts your organization. True or false? Oh, true. It totally hurts your organization. And we've been talking about this forever. And I think that the news that we saw in the uh, – it was a piece in The Athletic about how the Players Association and, and baseball spoke on Monday in Denver about um, – I mean, I can just read the first paragraph. They had, they had a face-to-face meeting. They made their first proposal covering the core economics to the Players Association. The plan included a new tax on team spending, one that would both effectively lower the first luxury tax threshold in the sport to $180 million. Right now it's at 210 is what it's at right now. And ch- charge teams who exceed the, that first mark a higher percentage than they pay today. One trade-off, people briefed on the league proposal said, would be a salary minimum of $100 million in the sport. Now, if you look at COTS uh, baseball contracts coming into the season in 2021, there were seven teams that didn't spend $100 million on their payroll. The Detroit Tigers, the Cleveland Indians, the Pittsburgh Pirates, the Seattle Mariners, the Miami Marlins, the Baltimore Orioles, and the first place Tampa Bay Rays are the seven teams who did not spend $100 million on their payroll coming into this year. So I remember saying, if you're going to have a floating, you know, because they have multiple thresholds, then you got to have you got to have a you got to have a bottom. You can't be telling, hey Dodgers, you want to win? Hey Dodgers, you want to compete? Hey Dodgers, you want to spend your money? Well, we're going to keep you from doing that, but we're going to allow the Florida Marlins only spend thirty-two million dollars, right? Yeah, and it. It's just do comparison. The Dodgers uh, was two hundred and sixty-two million. Uh, what their CBT tax with their forty-man roster. You know what the Marlins was? <laughs> Seventy-eight and a half. So the Dodgers payroll was almost two hundred million more than the Marlins entering the season. And this is before they got Max Scherzer and Trey Turner at the trade deadline. So if we're talking so- about what the sport needs to change, this is something that you've said for almost two years now. And they're finally starting to look at it as something that could be done. But here's the point. Here's the point. If you're going to tell people they can't spend, then you can't let these guys sit at the bottom. Now, I remember I I had mine at like 80-something million. Like, you got to make it like 80 million. You want to rebuild? Go ahead, rebuild. But you're going to have to spend 80 million. And I know that seemed crazy in 2019. Now it's not. I, I'm dead on with this. Hey, guys, if you want to get the TV money, you want to get all the apparel money and the merch money, and you want to get everything of this 10 plus billion dollar, whatever the industry is, you can't hover as a bottom feeder forever. You want to rebuild? Fine. You got to do it at $100 million. 
I love the idea. Look what the trading deadline showed us. Look how exciting baseball can be when everybody's going for it. You want to rebuild and just go young guys? Yeah, well, you're going to have to pay some of them. Can you imagine that? You want to go rebuild with a bunch of young guys? Well, somebody's got to make $20 million. You're going to have to pay somebody. You got to get yours to $100 million. So I love this idea. And the negotiations are off to a great start because I can get, when you say that first, so basically Major League Baseball is saying, hey, listen, we want to keep it from being out of control, but we're going to get the bottom feeders up. So you know what I do if I'm Tony Clark? All I got to do is get that luxury tax threshold, that first one. I got to get it over $200 million. And we might have a deal. I mean, we really might have a deal because what's the number one thing players want? They want everybody to be competitive. And if you're forcing the Pirates, the Orioles, the Marlins, the, the, the even the Rays who are in first place, you're forcing everybody to spend $100 million, now you're looking at more of a competitive game all around. Yeah, and that's something that the sport needs and something that everyone talks about. The Orioles have lost 13 games in a row. Uh, the Cubs just ended a 12-game losing streak. So we're seeing all around baseball how bad you know, how bad these teams are. Now, Detroit is, a, is above uh, ahead of their schedule uh, for their rebuild right now. they got a lot, not a, a lot of young players. Their number one pick in the draft last year, Spencer Torkelson, is already playing in AAA. He got promoted last week with, believe it or not, Kreid's son, uh, Mark Kreidler's son, Ryan Kreidler, got promoted to AAA. And his second at bat hit a home run. So Detroit's ahead of schedule. So they're, you know, their rebuild is kind of fast-tracked. But the Orioles, uh, let's say so they stink, but they need to spend money. And a lot of their payroll is invested in Chris Davis, who just retired last week. So another part of this article, it says that money collected from teams paying the tax would fund certain clubs' payrolls to the minimum. But details about the mechanism are unclear, including what penalties teams might occur if they do not reach $100 million or what year the minimum will take effect. Well, well, you know what they'll end up doing. See, Detroit's not that far off, man. Detroit's, as of right now, Detroit's payroll is almost $86 million. They're not a problem. Well, it's, a team, it's a team that that, that are way, because remember, Mickey's making $30 million a year, so they're not far off. So whether you talk rebuild or not, they're, they're still spending a ton of money. The question is, what's going to happen to these teams that have been living low, and now they have to spend. Now, that'll be negotiated. When Does it take place next year, the year before that, or whatever? But you know what they do. They find you, and they take draft picks. Well, what are you going to do to teams that are rebuilding that are relying on draft picks? They're screwed. This will change the sport, and this will get a deal done. This, to me, is something that's negotiating in good faith. You're saying to the players' union, I want to add two more teams. That means more jobs. That means two more minor league systems. All good for the players' union. And I want to have a floor so no one can play. No one can do the, oh, we're a small market. Oh, we're this, we're that. Now you got to spend 100 at least. Fine. You want to spend exactly $100 million? Fine. But that means you're spending the money that Major League Baseball gives you every single year for being a member of Major League Baseball, for being a team, a franchise inside Major League Baseball. Yeah, and don't get me wrong. I mean, I'd love to see the Pirates spend $100 million a year. Uh, back in the back in a couple of years ago when they were competing and trying to win the NL Central, they were spending money, not $100 million, but they were getting up there. You know, the misconception all the time about the Aces, they don't spend money. Their payroll's already over $100 million right now after the trades they made at the deadline. Even coming into the season – 
if you include the tax on the forty-man roster, the A's payroll is over hundred million dollars. So they, we already met the threshold for what this would be. So the misconception that they don't spend money is just a joke uh, anymore because they spend money on players and investing money in, in the payroll. Now they're not going to spend money like the Dodgers do, of course not. But still, I mean, they're they're putting money to see more teams spend money and be more more. Uh, you know, balanced and wanting, willing to win. That's what baseball needs. It's just like adding more playoff teams. Adding the playoff teams is a big deal because then you have yeah. – you have that's more money for the players when they bring in the playoff shares. I mean, in the end, there's a lot of win-win out here. The fact that, oh, they're so far by – the players, the DH, the universal DH, will, will do nothing but have – I don't see, once they've offered this – I don't see where the players have a leg to stand on. I really don't. All your main players are under contract. The younger guys coming up, they're going to get contracts. All the stars have contracts. If you're now complaining that 34-year-old free agents aren't getting big contracts, if, if that's if that's your biggest if that's your biggest worry, man, you, if that's if that's the hill you're willing to die on, that is not smart. Cuz right now the game is flush with cash. All the great young players and all the great names all have contract extensions. I mean, who who's a great player right now that's up and coming that's not super young that doesn't have a contract extension? Um, let's see. You call you. Qualified it with the super young. I was gonna say the, the only the first guy that comes to mind is Juan. I'll bring up Juan Soto. He's twenty two years old. Yeah, I was gonna say he's the the only guy ah. I could think of. Like the only, but there really isn't anyone. Uh, Peter Peter Alonso. Pete Alonso. They've all signed. Pete Alonso. That might be the only one. So we're gonna kill baseball because <laughs> Pete Alonso doesn't have a contract. That's what I mean. Yeah, it's Do you see point. how stupid this is? Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, all the main dudes got contracts. Everybody's getting paid, and more guys are going to get paid now because every team's going to have to, at some point, I don't know what year it is, but every team's going to have to spend at least $100 million. So that means 26 guys got to split $100 million. I don't know about you. That sounds like a lot of money to me that everybody's going to be making. And you had two more teams. That's two more teams of spending at least $100 million. This, a, a, a universal DH, a DH, is an expensive position. Now everybody will have that. Expanded playoffs means uh, let's renegotiate our TV contracts because the networks are going to make more money or whoever. Uh, they'll make more money. Owners will make more money. Players will make more money. As I've said before, if anybody wants to have a conversation, I'll meet you at the converse. I'll meet you at the Coliseum. If you can show me anywhere in, in our life, where expanded playoffs didn't work in major sports. Are you going to tell me it didn't work in the NFL, the NBA, the NHL, college basketball, college football? I'll meet anybody anywhere to have this conversation. If you can tell me it wasn't more lucrative, you can say, I don't like this because of this and the integrity of the game, blah, 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 blah. I'm talking cold, hard cash. You cannot tell me anywhere in major sports that the more playoffs – is bad for the game. Is four majors bad for golf? Is four majors bad for tennis? If you got you want to go NASCAR? 
I mean, what's what major sport do you want to go to that the more championships or the more rounds of playoffs has hurt the sport financially? Can you name me one? Uh, there really isn't one. Do you? Can you think? I'd be willing to have that debate with anybody if you can bring me figures where a a a, a league. Because you can't really call like the PGA Tour or tennis because they're independent contract. Well, they're all independent contractors. But you know what I'm saying. You can't tell me. Yeah, you want it. You you think taking the Masters away from golf would be lucrative for more lucrative for or the U.S. Open or or the British Open or the PGA? Oh, you want to take the Players Championship away? And that's going to be better for golf. No, the more championships, the more money for everybody. The leagues, the players. It's a no-brainer. All right, A's total access coming up. What time? Uh, 410. What are we playing now? We'll play Tim Kirkshin. Tim Kirkshin of ESPN Next. We'll be back at 410. A's fans, join us for the biggest music festival in the fall. It's the inaugural Battle Axe and Tracks Music Festival held October 2nd and 3rd in Carson City, Nevada. Grammy Award nominees Kenny Wayne Shepard, Larkin Poe, Samantha Fish, and North Mississippi All-Stars are just four of the 15 acts. Festival activities also include axe throwing and Freedom Rail Bike Tours. Tickets on sale now with VIP two-day and single-day tickets available. Check out the full schedule at BattleAxeAndTracks.com. That's BattleAxeAndTracks.com. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.